Welcome back to He Leadeth Me, a spiritual formation podcast for focused staff, students, and friends. I'm Jessica, Focus's Manager of Spiritual Formation, and today I'm joined by Nathan Stanley. Nathan Stanley is Focus's Senior Director of Talent and Leadership Development. He's married to Lauren, and they have three wonderful and energetic children. And I'm glad that you're here with me today, Nathan. It's great to be with you, Jess. Well, so Nathan, today I wanted to talk to you about the spirituality of daily work. I remember once I invited a gentleman who is a member of Opus Dei to come and speak to our headquarters staff about the spirituality of work, and he shared with me a story. He said that he worked in an office, I forget uh, what exactly he did, maybe an accountant or something, and he hired a Focus alumni. And he said that that alumni would share with him that he was sad that he left focus because he found his daily work in focus, leading Bible studies and sharing the gospel to be so exciting. And he was sad that his days of adventure were behind him. And this gentleman shared with me, you know, that's, that's a really sad attitude for daily work. You need to teach your missionaries how to find adventure and find God in their daily work. And I was so inspired by that. And I know that you're a member of Opus Dei, and Opus Dei's spirituality talks about daily work. So can you tell us how Opus Dei recommends that you find God in your daily work? These are great questions, Jess. And, and I think that missionary's experience is very common. It's a common experience. I went through that experience as well when I transitioned from being a regional director and then coming to uh, a job that was a little bit more back office here at our Denver Sports Center. So I understand that uh, struggle that our missionary went through. You know, one of the things about work is that first, before someone starts thinking about how do I sanctify work, how do I live a spirituality at work, that it's first and foremost rooted in divine filiation, the fact that we're children of God that we're going to approach everything as children of God. I remember asking my son once at the dinner table, hey, how do you pray unceasingly? And he was starting to say, you know, he guessed all these ideas like, dad, maybe we should spend more time in the chapel. We should pray rosaries all the time. And I said, well, these are not bad things. But most likely we're going to have to spend time in very ordinary activities. And there we can still offer that to God. And so what St. Jose Maria talked about when he talked about sanctifying work, he talked about it in three ways. He said we should sanctify the work itself, we should sanctify yourself through the work, and then you should sanctify others in the work. So let's dive into that. That's really interesting. What does it mean to sanctify the work itself? Sanctifying the work itself is really looking at no matter what the task is, is putting love in that task. In a certain sense, there's no little things. There's everything, when we add love to it, are bigger things. You see this throughout all the saints. I mean, St. Therese and the napkin folding, uh, all the saints that saw that even the littlest and minute a task, if they added love to that and did that for our Lord and did that for the right intention, then all of a sudden that work is sanctified. It's something, it doesn't matter if it's an email, it doesn't matter if it's, uh, you know, doing my expense reports, it doesn't matter if I'm prepping for a Bible study or giving a talk. Whatever it may be, I can sanctify that activity and bring God right there in the midst of it. That's a good point. We tend to think that there are certain things that we do 
that are more noble and that please God more than others. Like writing a talk, we tend to think that's more important Mm -hmm. than sending an email. And yet the important thing is the love that we put into it. I remember hearing a story about workers in, I think it was Bali, where everything in this island nation was supposed to be beautiful. The architecture is supposed to be beautiful. Like there's just a culture of beauty there. And I remember hearing that after workers would make street signs, they would be sent to an artist to make them beautiful. And I was really struck by that because here in the United States, we tend to think, oh, it's just a bland street sign. And yet they're trying to make it beautiful. And I remember thinking, what if I tried to make all of my work more beautiful? And put more love into it. Like, what if I tried to make my emails beautiful? Because I wasn't paying attention to those little details or the more mundane tasks in my daily work. Yeah, that's that's a great uh, example. You know, we've even think about you go see the beautiful cathedrals in Europe. And if you get a chance to go and get into the bell tower and you start to see all the little details, obviously, no one saw that the work that those uh, architects did back then. Yet, why did they put so much detail and work in there? It's because they were doing that for God. And I think this is key because another piece of this is that work is hard. And that's why we don't like it sometimes. So that's how we sanctify ourselves through our work, is that the fact that we get there, we may be tired, we may actually be dealing with a very hard project, we may be anxious or feeling some dread behind it. And it's, it's there that we can grow as well. So we're going to be sanctified ourselves. We're going to grow in virtue. We're going to grow in holiness. I love that the catechism definition of virtue is talks about, you know, the habitual disposition towards the good. At the end of that paragraph, it talks about that virtue is something that's lived out in concrete daily situations. And here it is. It could be our work or the project or the person that we don't really enjoy dealing with, that we're going to grow in virtue and we're going to love them as well, which then transitions to how do we sanctify others through our work? It's We don't work. We're not hermits. We we are meant to be living in a community and we're, we're walking with others. And and as we're doing that, we're thinking, how can, how can I help this person? How can I help this person? And even people that work in a, in a world more secular, they can, by doing a good job, it opens them up to having evangelical encounters with other people. And now they're sharing the gospel, uh, which is really exciting. I love it. I love hearing my friends that work in the secular sector, hearing all about how because they're a great worker, people trust them, and they're now evangelizing those people and bringing them closer to Jesus. Yeah. So you talked about two points there, sanctifying mm-hmm. yourself through work and sanctifying others through work. And I think that with what you were saying about sanctifying yourself, I feel like I'm often not grateful for the difficulties in work. I just want to get through them. And yet, how different it would make work if I was grateful for those difficulties that occurred because God is giving me an opportunity to grow in virtue. And it's kind of a mind shift in looking at your daily work because you're not seeing the goal being to get to the end of the task. Uh, Like we're just fast food workers or something trying to turn out tasks as quickly as possible. But the end goal is to grow in virtue. And so all of these things are helping us get to our ultimate end goal, which is heaven. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this is a means for our sanctification. It's a place that we can grow in our relationship with God. 
and we're going to spend a lot of time there. In fact, you know, I spend eight, nine hours sometimes at the office every day. Yeah, I spend a lot of time in prayer as well, but I'm spending more time in in a working environment than I am at chapel. So I have to think God would want me to turn those hours into encountering him just as much as he wants me to be doing that in the chapel. Yeah, exactly. I think one of the things that hinders people from being sanctified through their daily work is how we view work in our culture, because we have a very polarized view. Either work is everything, and we work an insane amount of hours each week, and we find our identity in work. I've heard that Americans work more than almost every other culture. On average, Americans work 47 hours a week. And you have especially younger workers like millennials taking work home with them and answering emails at all hours of the day. And so we can get into workaholism, which leads to burnout, which leads to hating work. Or we can have the opposite end of the spectrum, where we always view work as something unpleasant. And the only goal of work is to pay for the times when you finally get to go on vacation. So those are kind of ways that our society views work. But how should we as Catholics view work? In order for us to understand work, we have to look to the scriptures. And I think this goes back to the very beginning. In Genesis, the gift of work is given before the fall. That's something we we sometimes miss or we read over quickly. But Adam is told to go and to till the garden. He's told to go and work and said that it's very good. And then God, God, even in creation, he works six days uh, and then, he, of course, rest on the seventh. And so there's this idea of work and creation and that God's inviting us into this co-creating with him right from the beginning. And that is that's an important thing. Now, because of the fall, work has become burdensome. It's something that is not as enjoyable sometimes as it was, but it didn't take away its its goodness, its primal goodness that was there from the beginning. I also think it's good for us to reflect upon Jesus's hidden life. It's kind of wild to think that Jesus came in for 30 years. He did not go and preach the gospel at all. In fact, during those 30 years, he must have done a lot of work because that's how they knew him. They knew him as a carpenter. They knew him as as Joseph's son, they must have known Joseph was a pretty good worker as well. It's good to meditate upon this. Yeah, it's really good. And, you know, I think almost all of my meditations are about the three years of Jesus's life when he was ministering and then when he suffered and died for us on the cross. And yet there were those 30 years where he was just growing up in Nazareth and then working. He was a carpenter. And you could only imagine how Jesus would have greeted people. And then the attention to detail he would have put in any of the products or anything that he was going to put together for someone in the community. And he probably had a great sense of humor, I would imagine, and and was able to just bring that into building up others around. And it was so much so that people were surprised when he was out there preaching the gospel. Yeah, well, and it reminds me that we're created in the image of God and God worked. God made creation for six days and then rested on the seventh day, but he's still constantly at work in our lives. He's active. He's doing things and being made in his image. We should be doing things too, just like Jesus did, whether that was for the time that he was a carpenter or if he was working miracles. But I think it was St. Charles Stafel called his whole spirituality 
revolved around Jesus being a worker. And he would say, I just want to contemplate the Lord's workbench. And I remember reading that the first time and thinking, well, that sounds kind of boring. I don't know if I could think about that for an hour. And yet what you're saying brings to life how Jesus's work life must have looked like, how he must have used it to draw others to God and just giving glory to God by offering him his tasks out of love. And Jesus working in the carpentry shop, making tables or whatever it is that he made, he also offered that for the salvation of our souls, just like he offered dying on the cross for us. I think that's a great way of looking at it. And the early Christians took this very, very seriously. So much so that the early Christians, and maybe it was because of the persecutions a little bit, but the idea was they they didn't really change occupations when they became Christian. They lived like everybody else. And therefore, they were they were this leaven in society, and they were reaching out to their, their fellow workers, the families, and they started to convert others because of their example. And they knew that they had to be seen as very good workers. And we see this. Paul, of course, uh, has many laborers that are, are great workers, and then he recruits them, of course, to his team as they're evangelizing in the early Christian community. Well, so Nathan... I mentioned to you that I think how we view work can be an obstacle to sanctifying work. What else do you think are obstacles people experience to sanctifying their work? I think one of the biggest that comes up today is the vice of Octadia. And the vice of Octadia is uh, also referred to as the noonday devil. And this, it commonly happens kind of midday. This is true for all of us. We we tend to set out really well, lots of energy, get get going in the right things right away. And it, and then we eat lunch and then we start slowing down. And it's easy to get distracted and not spend the time doing what we ought to be doing. I love this. I, I had a spiritual director once mentioned to me that the hours between noon and three are a great time to unite yourself to Christ on the cross in your work because they're the hardest moments for you to really just stay there and do what you want. Yeah, I remember reading about Achadia in the writings of the Desert Fathers. Mm -hmm. And they say that Achadia is a sin, a spiritual thought, but it's also a spirit. And the Desert Fathers say that it is the spirit that does the most damage to souls that are trying to grow in their relationship with God. So they listed this spirit, Achadia, as the one that was the most dangerous to the monks in the desert. And I remember reading a description of what Achadia could look like in a monk's life. And you're right, it says that it strikes right after you eat. Uh, you're a little bit tired. And it says that the monk keeps looking out of his window rather than praying and rather than engaging in his work of basket weaving. And then the monk keeps looking at the sun to determine how many hours until his next meal. And then he keeps wandering around looking to see if other monks are in their cells, if they want to talk and get distracted. And I was thinking, other than using the words monk and cell, this kind of sometimes describes my afternoon. Yeah, you could be sitting in your office or a cubicle or, you know, at your computer screen. And instead of doing what you ought to be doing, you're like, you know, what What book did I want to buy from Amazon today? And then next thing you know, you've been on the Internet not doing anything for the past 30 minutes, except just letting yourself be there. What's interesting, Dr. Kevin Majors, who's a psychiatrist at Harvard, also a very devout Catholic man, 
Uh, and he's founded this organization called Optimal Work. But he talks about this also in our brains and how our brains work. He says, you know, if you don't have a plan for when you go to work or, and what you're going to be doing, and you don't offer that for a good intention in that hour, then you're going to fall into what is called the default attention. All that stuff that's back there in the back of your brain that uh, you're like, I have to get to this. And, and what's interesting, it reminds me a lot of prayer. If you don't have a plan for prayer, you're going to just be distracted the whole time in prayer. And sometimes we can't do anything about that. We offer that up. The same is just true in work. It's the, if we don't have a plan, if we're not trying to, to fight that default attention, we're going to be distracted the whole time. That is so interesting. And, you know, I've heard many of the missionaries who are just beginning prayer lives say to me, well, I went to the chapel and I didn't come with a plan because I wanted Jesus to be completely free to do whatever he wanted. And then I spent the entire time really distracted. It was awful. And I would just tell them, okay, you need to come with a plan. <laughs> you need to come with something that you are going to meditate on. But I never thought about applying that to my work. So that's really good advice. Yeah, I find that uh, often the same things that are true in your, your life of prayer are the same things that are very true in your life of work. They tend to be opportunities, like we've been talking about, to, to sanctify ourselves, to get closer to Christ. And often they are just a, a matter of us taking a moment and reframing the situation that we're in. Maybe we're really tired and we have prayer in the afternoon, which often I pray a little bit in the afternoon. And I'm often very tired, but I can reframe that and say, Lord, I get to spend 30 minutes right now with you as part of my work day. That is so cool. Most people don't get to do that. You know, and at work, it could be, wow, I have a really big project. And maybe I could think, I can't believe. Curtis and Craig actually even think that they can trust me with such a what important work. And so I'm going to lean in here and give this my best. That's a really good point about reframing things. I was speaking with another worker at the DSC who, like you, also has a holy hour in the afternoon when you're the most tempted to Achadia. And he said to me, nobody can make a holy hour at three o'clock in the afternoon. Not even Jesus. That's why he gave up his spirit. <laughs> <laughs> and I think yeah, that, that point does have some merit to it. And yet what you're saying is just really good practical advice. Just reframe the situation and continue to offer that to God. And at the end of the day, God's in control. We may come in with a plan, but God can use that and use that as a, a launching pad to wherever the Holy Spirit wants to take us. Exactly. Now, Nathan, I wanted to talk with you about something that is a little bit more of a contemporary debate. So I remember that uh, during COVID, everybody's working from home. And then when COVID ended, the pandemic lockdowns ended, there were a lot of debates about work. Should we continue to allow people to work remotely? Or is it better for them to come into the office? All these different discussions. But one of them that I remember is that people started saying, maybe we should move to a four-day work week rather than a five-day work week. And from what I've read about this, the main argument is that the five days, people have things that they need to do in their personal lives, and so they end up doing that during work time, or it's that they're working so much over a longer period of time that they tend to just need a little bit of a break, and so maybe workers would be more productive if they only worked four days. And then uh, on the opposite side of the debate, I've heard people saying, you just don't want to work. And so like get to work. 
we work five days and God worked six and then rested. So what do you think about this debate about the four-day work week? I think the main thing that I take from these, these debates is the fact that we're really dissatisfied with how we view work today mm. as a society. It just shows that the way people are looking at work today are either it's kind of a, I work and I have to work really hard and that's just a necessary evil so I can get to the things I really want to do, uh, whether that be entertainment. Now, there's a lot of valid reasons in this too, you know, that uh, people want to spend more time in their family relationships. There's more time to, with the things that are most important. And some of that, I think, is, as you mentioned earlier, is that workaholic culture that we have. I read a really interesting article by Dr. Leonard Sachs uh, a few weeks ago, and he shared in there, Dr. Leonard Sachs does a lot of great work on thinking through, uh, especially just how we've changed as a society. And he does some interesting thoughts on uniqueness about boys and uniqueness about girls. But in this one, he was talking about what schools should really concentrate on. We want people to be, have great jobs one day, and we want people to really understand work and he said, so should you be an Elon Musk school or should you be a Mother Teresa school? Now, on face value, you're like, what? These two cannot uh, even, even be in the same category. But if you think about it, Mother Teresa and Elon Musk both worked very hard or both uh, Elon's still alive, but Mother worked very hard. And she really wanted to continue to expand the missionaries of charity. There's a great story about how she pointed to like all the countries that they weren't in, but she wanted sisters there. And she was like, we need to work harder to get to all these countries. But Elon Musk, you know, why is he working? What's he doing? Well, he wants to attain something that's, you know, you know, maybe admirable, but it's, it brings about a dissatisfaction with the way we view work versus Mother mm -hmm. Teresa's is rooted in service and love. So I think, yeah, maybe, maybe there's some validity here to a four day work week or, uh, everyone should work remote or have more flexibility in their schedules. I think there's something that we should always discuss, but I don't think it will fix the problem unless we go back to the root of why we work in the first place, which is about love and service. I think that's a great point. Well, before we close, do you have any other advice for our listeners about how they can sanctify their daily work? I think one of the key things uh, when you're thinking about sanctifying your daily work is to come in and to plan your day in advance. And as you plan that day, start to say, how could I offer each of those activities or each of these kind of new, maybe it's an every hour or something. How could I offer that for somebody? Whether it be, you know, somebody that uh, I'm trying to reach with the gospel, could be a family member. It could be, it could be even the bishops, the Pope. It could be very universal. It could be for conversions in China. And I think we should have a universal gaze with our work. And I think this gets back to the story you told at the beginning is that there's so much adventure in the most smallest and minute detail that's right before me, and that I can now be part of that on a very large scale. That is a very beautiful way to sum up what we've been talking about. Thank you so much for joining me today, Nathan. It's been a pleasure to have you. Oh, it's so great to be here, Jess. Thank you for having me. And everybody, I hope that you learned some useful information to offer your daily work to God. Thanks for listening. Someday.